going to start with 2 Peter. Because um, one, something that I want to read here is something that I think is quite profound. And um, who, who of us would like to be effective in what God has called us to do? This isn't, this isn't much of a rocket science question. Oh, and let me just say hello to John. Hello, John. John's another shofar pastor from up north. He's just discovered the sea for the first time. No, joke. <laughs> but please uh, get some coffee with him afterwards. Thanks, John, for coming. Really appreciate you. Uh, I've known John for a, for a few years. We're the only English pastors, or sometimes it feels like that, so we've got to stick together in the whole shofar network. So um, please pray for us that God would increase our numbers, you know. <laughs> um, some people are saying that's, that's heresy, but anyway, it's fine. Um, okay, so John chapter 3. So all of us would like to be effective in what we'd like to do, right? We would like to go into whatever workplace we are and succeed. We'd like to start a business and make the business work. Nobody starts a business thinking, sure, I'd really like this business to fail. That would really make my day, right? Anybody here like that? Probably not. You know, and, uh, and also when it comes to our faith, you know, to some degree or another, whoever I talk to, if I take them out for coffee and I say, hey, would you like to be effective in your faith, in being able to share your faith with the people around you? You know, everybody says yes. Well, you're probably sitting across the pastor, so you're not going to tell the pastor. No, but I'll take it anyway. You know, I, I would, and, I, and I'm willing to bet that to a certain degree, each and every person sitting here would like to be effective for what God has called them to be, right? Now, wh whether that uh, translates to effectiveness is a different story, but, but I don't want us to get bogged down there because that's, that's exactly the problem is I think so many of us, don't even try because we look more at the problem rather than just doing it. Can you relate to that? Sometimes, you know, there's that family member that seems so far from God, I'm not going to even bother witnessing to them. You know, and I've, I've met people like that, especially in my student days. I've met people, they, they were outspoken atheists, and I remember thinking, yes, if this person can get saved, I am. Um, I wasn't thinking, dear Lord, how can you help me to get this person saved? I was thinking, God, if you're real, then this person will get saved. Because <laughs> there, there just seemed no ways that, this, that somebody could get saved. Anyway, it's a long story short. That's another sermon, but he did get saved. And um, a great testimony. Um, but for myself, you know, sometimes I, I like to look at the news and what's going on in the world. But I've got to check myself every now and then, right? I can find myself getting very negative and just get back to the basics. So, um, now where was I here? I wrote down the wrong notes. Okay, now I've got it. Okay. So, um, to Peter, you know, now I wrote down the wrong chapter. That's well, fine. Okay, we'll find it now. Okay, so, so anyway, so to Peter... He talks about, I'm just going to read straight from the, from the notes here. So there's, there's this moment where, where um, Peter is admonishing the saints, and he's talking to them. He says, hey, if you want to confirm the fact that you are saved, just do these things. It's very simple, okay? So let's read together here. We can read from the slides up there. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life 
through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay, everybody would like to live a godly life, right? Amen. And the good news is that by his divine power, you as you sit now, if you have professed Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you have got everything now to live that godly life. Amen? Okay, great. Okay, some people believe it. Hopefully by the end of the sermon, more people will believe it. Okay. But, uh, but this is just what, what the word of, listen to this, says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Okay, this is just, I'm just reading scripture here. It's not, it's not up for debate. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Verse 4, through these things to us has, has given us the very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world and caused by evil desires. Okay, I'd like to escape corruption. I'd like to escape um, the, you know, the, the world and, and all its evil desires. So how do we do this? Okay, verse 5. This is where the practical side comes in. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Join Bible school. Amen? Great. Verse 6. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. Okay? Now, when we're talking about this mutual affection, it's, it's the... It's the affection that we have for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? So there's, there's, this, there's this progression that, that as I look for things that are good, and now also you must remember what do we define as being good, and uh, James 1 defines that everything, everything that is good, every good gift comes from above, all right? And, and that's, that's quite incredible because in a world that is evil, it's, it's not hard to spot something that comes from God. If it is good, if we think of it as being good, it is most likely from God, okay? And I'm not talking about good in the sense that the world defines good. I'm talking about good in the, in the sense that, that the Bible describes. So if we believe that God is Jehovah Jireh, in other words, that he provides, so if I'm able to put food on the table and I think of that as being a good thing, then that is from God, okay? So it's not my work or my business or my work ethic that has put food on the table. It's the goodness of God that has put food on my table, right? And in humility, I accept that. Are you with me? Okay? So, and as I, as I perceived as I, as I strive for this goodness to accept that the things of God are good and that everything that is good that I have um, is from God, um, I put to it knowledge, right? What do I mean by knowledge? That I study the Word of God, that I'm, I'm adding not just good feelings and good vibes, that I'm, that I'm actually I'm putting in the boundaries of knowledge, right? Because there's things that seem good, but when I study the Word of God, they are not good. Are you with me? So it's not, it's not good as, as I perceive it. It's, it's good that, are, that is bound by the knowledge of what I find in the Word of God. Okay? There are things that seem right to a man. You know, the, you know that scripture? There are things that seem right to a man. But when I read the Word of God and I match it up 
then it's not so much. So I, I want to pursue goodness, but I've got to put it within the bounds of what Scripture tells me. Okay, that's why it's so important to to go for knowledge. And 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 we live in a, in a world where the, a lot of people are looking for things that seem good. Okay, so we we look at at relationships. Relationships are being defined, and what the Bible would define is a, a relationship. A marriage is between one man and one woman um, married together, and that is becoming that is coming up for grabs. And so people look at a man that's married to a man or a woman that's married to a woman and they perceive that that is good and, that, and some people go so far as to say because it is good, it is from God. What's the problem? Is that they've defined goodness in their own eyes but they haven't added to goodness knowledge. You understand? So it's very important that I, from goodness I add knowledge. If they added knowledge, they would go to the Word of God and they would see no this goodness that I perceive is not good because the way that the Bible describes a relationship is one man married to one woman. You understand that example? Okay. So it's not how I perceive goodness. It's how the Bible just perceives goodness. And then from knowledge, self-control. Okay. So if the Word of God tells me something, that these are the bounds of goodness, okay, then it requires self-control from me. Okay. Because... What happens if, if I want to be in a relationship that the Bible does not want me to be in? Then what it's going to re- require of me is self-control after that. That I will, as, as there's this amazing um, verse in, in, in the Psalms, and it was made into a song, that the, that the Lord, that my, my soul will bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. You guys know that song? Right? What is... What is what is David doing? He's exercising self-control. He is commanding his soul to bless the Lord. Why does he have to command his soul? Because he doesn't feel like it. Right? He doesn't feel like it. But in his pursuit of goodness, he's added knowledge. And, in, and his knowledge has told him that God is worthy of all praise. And because he knows that, and because he wants to pursue goodness, he will exercise self-control and command his soul to bless the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? And so praise is not something that I do when I feel good. I do not, I do not base my worship on God according to my enthusiasm. I base my worship of God according to his worthiness. He, I praise him because he is worthy. I do not praise him because I feel like it. Okay? And it's something that, that, that you can really make part of your own personal quiet time is there are going to be days where you wake up and you're stressed, and I challenge you to command your soul to worship God, to take a moment and to worship. I will now bless the Lord. Okay, In my stress, in my doubt, the fact that I have to face my boss, my boss is just the worst. Um, jokes. Almost not here, so I can say whatever I want about him. Okay. Um, and in the self-control, what comes naturally after self-control? It's the perseverance. Okay, this, can you just see the logical progression after this? Goodness, add to knowledge, add to self-control. And what do I need when I'm exercising self-control is I need to persevere in the self-control. Okay, I need to persevere. Um, uh, and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, mutual affection, and finally to mutual affection, love. 
And now, what's very interesting is that in, in the worldly sense, we start with love, and then we add all sorts of funky stuff to that, and then we, we hope that whatever comes out of this Vosh machine ends up something that God approves. But what's interesting in Scripture is it first puts down the boundaries before we get to love. Now remember, we're talking about a month. We're talking about love this month. We're talking about a love that is set apart, set apart for the purposes of God. And the, and the, the amazing thing about love is that it's incredibly powerful, but it is also incredibly delicate in another sense, right? There's, there's, there's a love between a man and a woman which is incredibly powerful, but also it is so incredibly delicate that God puts such incredible strict boundaries that it will be between one man and one woman. Have you ever thought about that? It's not that, it's not that the love of God is not powerful. It's that the image of God is delicate. It's precious. It's, it's like, it's like, it's like a, a, a glass orb, you know, and you drop it and it breaks. And so, before, before we get to define what love is, before we take on the endeavor of defining what love is as Christians, we need to start this process of pursuing goodness, adding to goodness knowledge, adding to knowledge self-control, adding to self-control perseverance, right? Adding to perseverance godliness, adding to godliness mutual affection, and then only do we get to this beautiful thing, which is love. But let us not start defining love for ourselves before we go through that. I do not get to define what love is. And a love that is set apart is defined strictly by what God says, not what I say. No matter how good it looks. Are you with me? Okay. And this, this, shouldn't, be, this shouldn't be a radical teaching in church. Okay. This, this should be straightforward. So let's move on. But should we get this right? This, this is the amazing promise from verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective. Should you, should you adopt this process, it will keep you from being ineffective. Isn't that beautiful? Who wants to be effective? Right. Here's, here's a step-by-step -step process for you. Very simple, okay? If you keep these, it will keep you from being ineffective. That's an amazing promise. Um, it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Hey? Have, you ever, have you ever opened up the Bible and you get so overwhelmed by how much information there is that sometimes you're so discouraged about doing a quiet time in the first place, right? And I, I want to I wanna propose to you that, that you adopt this in your quiet time method, right? That, there's, there's, that the Bible even tells us how to study it itself. That the, and the promise is here, should we follow these verses, the promise is that as we pursue Jesus Christ and we follow this method, we will not be unproductive and ineffective. That's beautiful. Hey? Isn't that amazing? That's the promise that God gives us. Um, but whoever does not have them 
is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. And then the reverse is also true, okay? If I, if I start defining, if, say I start with love, okay, and I start to define what love is, and then I start to define what is godliness, okay, then I start to define the things that I should be self-controlled on and the things that I shouldn't be self-controlled on, okay? Then I start, eventually what it ends up is where we started is I start to define what is good instead of God. Are you with me? And I don't want to be caught out doing that. I don't want to be caught, I don't want to stand in front of God having defined what is good and what is not good. I would like God to keep defining what is good, and I'll just play along to whatever tune he tells me. Amen? Okay, so now I said at the beginning, I want to talk about relationships specifically, so let's turn to Genesis 2. I'm going to read from 19 to 25. I'm going to find out exactly for you where I was reading in Peter. Was it chapter 1? Okay, sorry. Thank you. The classes, I mistyped it in my notes, and I didn't put it up in the slides either, so I do apologize. So it's 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Thank you, everybody, for saving me there. Whew. Don't tell Almo. <laughs> okay, so let's turn to Genesis 2. So, and um, we're going to read specifically where God institutes marriage for the first time, okay? Because once again, now remember, we're, we're talking about what God defines as being good. We're, we are pursuing goodness. All of us would like to be in a healthy married relationship, right? Everybody with your spouse say amen. Fantastic. We'd all like to at least uh, tolerate living with our significant other. We're, we'd all like to, to be in a loving relationship. And uh, so the options are, you know, get it right or... Yeah, probably basically just one option, okay? Just get it right, okay? Amen? Fantastic. Turn to your significant other and say, you're amazing. Yes, that was quiet. Okay. <laughs> Dear Lord, please intervene right now. She's going to have a panic attack quickly. Excuse me. Okay. Let's read from verse 19. Um, okay. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to, to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds and the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall upon the man. Okay. And in the previous chapter we read that this state was not good, okay? Now remember, the fall only happens in chapter 3. We're still in chapter 2. So sin had not entered into the world yet, and uh, God, after declaring and speaking about His creation, said that everything was good. And at the end of chapter 1, we read that everything was not just good, it was very good. Okay, so very high praise from God. That was very good. And then when He looks at man, he's, He looks at him and says that He's alone, and then he says something that's profound because now the fall has not happened. He says that it's not good that he's alone. Isn't that, like think about that. And so once again, now, we're, now remember we're starting this process that we started in, 
in uh, in two Peter chapter one. Thank you. To, in two Peter chapter one, that we're pursuing goodness, right? And now we're going to add to our goodness knowledge. And one of the things that we're finding out, one of, now that we know, is that it's not good that man is alone. Okay. Now sometimes we'd like to be alone when we're fishing and then or playing golf or something along those lines. But but guess what guys? God says that it's not good that you're alone. <laughs> Sorry, maybe maybe I'm uh, can beat me up after the service. No, I'm joking. Okay, so so now he makes a helper for man, okay? So um let's let's continue reading. I was at Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib and, the, and that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So, so now you must remember what, 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 uh, what Adam was just doing is, you know, just before, uh, when we started reading, is, is God gave man, Adam, dominion over the, over the world, and he was busy t- taking charge of all the livestock and the garden, and he was naming animals, and, and I'm sure that as Adam is doing this, he sees that, you know, the, the animals have pairs, and, and so now it's interesting that he says, he says, this at last is bone of my bone, and he's, and he's looking out at all that, and he says, they have pairs, but, but there's no one that matches me. There's no one like me. There's nobody of my kin of, that looks like me, that talks like me, that argues with me. Right? I give that animal a name. It doesn't argue with me. I would like somebody that I could argue with. Right? There's nothing like that. Okay? I'm making that part up. I'm sure, sure you guys don't argue with each other. Okay. So now... And, and now God makes for him a helper. And the first thing that Adam says is, this at last is bone of my bone. This is my partner, right? Flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Again, we, I was at a wedding yesterday, so we just read this verse. And... Um, and this, this is something that's so incredible because, you know, something, something that I've been thinking about for a long time, well, the last couple of months, we started fostering last year. And, um, you know, the first thing that people ask me, and it's a good question, I, I invite the question, I'm not saying that it's a bad question, is what about your own children? That's a good question to ask, and it's a question that I need to have an answer for. It's a question that I've been wrestling with. And something that I felt that God was saying to me is, is do not sacrifice that which is not eternal for something that is eternal. What do I mean by that? Is when I look at the scripture, one day my my kids will leave the house and they'll form their own families. Right? He shall leave his father's house and cleave to his wife. So one day my son, he's now four years old. He's going to grow up, he's going to become a man, he's going to find somebody that he loves, and, um, and he's going to leave my home and cling to this woman, as crazy as she may be, okay? And they're going to become one family. And In other words, our family context, in order for him to form a new family, 
the family that we know is going to have to cease to be. But it goes beyond that. You see, when I die, my wife and I will no longer be married. We're going to heaven. And so for a lot of us, we try and hang on to this family context, right? It's me, my wife, and my two kids, and it's, it's us, and it's us against the world. And it seems good. But what Scripture tells me is that it will end one day. And, not, and, if, and if this is what God has ordained, then that is good. It is good that my son leaves. It is good that when I die, my marriage with my wife comes to an end, and not before that. Okay, let me make that very clear. Not before that. It is good. And so when I look at these girls that now we're fostering, you know, how can I sacrifice something that is temporary, that will end, which God has ordained should end for the soul of a child that will last an eternity. Are you with me? It is, to me, it seems good that it's me and my family against the world, but, but if I'm going to add to this goodness knowledge, it is good that my son leaves the home one day. It is good that my daughter leaves the home one day and clings to her husband one day. It is good that that the marriage with my wife ends when I die. But it is not good that there's this girl, these two girls, they're sisters, and what will happen with them? Will they come with me? It is good. I think that it is good that they come with me into heaven. And, and I, have, I have the ability and the means to do that. Right? And now the, the situation seems... Impossible when we look at the world because, you know, we, we, look at, we look at George and there's, at any given time, this is what a social worker communicated with us, at any given time in George there are over 800 children, the number might even be more now after COVID, over 800 children that need fostering alone in, just in George, right? But, but the stats tell us that if every church in South Africa between them fosters or adopts two children, just two. I'm not talking about every person, I'm just talking about every church. So if us as a church body and every other church body, if we take charge of just two foster children, two adopt, adopted children, there will be no need for fostering and adoption in South Africa. It's gone. Problem solved. Done. Cool, eh? Just like that. So... I want to talk about fathers. Can you play that video clip? I want to, I want to talk about something really cool. In real time, please. This is very deep. Okay, I think stop the video. Too deep. Too deep for us this morning. Okay, they'll try to fix the video. Let me tell you what happened. So, so these guys, they did a research study, and they, they uh, polled 40,000 people, and they were 
they 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 try to see what was going on and and they discovered something which they were weren't even intending to to research but it was just one of these surprises that came out they're trying to discover what is the relationship between people and scripture how are people interacting with scripture and something that they found is that when somebody has one interaction with scripture per week so that could look like you coming to church, me reading the Bible to you, and you're going, okay, cool, cool message, and then going home. So if somebody had one interaction with Scripture a week, um, there was almost neglig- negligible change in their life. Same thing with two times, same thing with three times. But the most amazing thing is that they said once it got to four times, so once a person interacts with Scripture three times a week, so that could include coming to church and opening up the Bible for yourself in the week three times. Not necessarily every day, just three times. The, the stats jumped. People had, people suffered with anxiety and depression less by 30 and 32% respectively. Okay? People struggled, struggled less with pornography by as much as 60%. Just by reading and interacting with Scripture four times a week. Okay? Um, people's sense of, uh, you, know, you know, sometimes you speak to people and they say, yes, I'm just in this rut. I just feel in a spiritual rut. That dropped dramatically by over 90%. Just by people interacting with Scripture four times a week. Okay? I want to read to you some more stats um, so this was this was incredible. According to data collected by Promise Keepers and the Baptist Press, if a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one child in fifty will become a regular worshiper. Okay, so if, if as as much as you wives bring your children to church, if your husband's not involved. The stats tell us that that your child be, will become a regular worshiper as an adult, only one in fifty. That's and that's shocking. Okay, but listen to the reverse of this. This is incredible. If a father does go regularly, regardless of what the mother does, so if there's a regular father in attendance of church, regardless of if the mother attends or not, listen to this. Between two thirds and three quarters of their children will attend church as adults. Forget the programs. Forget the fancy worship. Forget the sermons. Fathers, if you just pitch up, if you're just there, if you're just present, your kids will have as much as a 75% chance of being a regular worship as as an adult. See, I, when we're talking about love, and it's, it's sad that we're getting to the place where we have to con- have a conversation where love that is set apart is just pitching up. And it's not, but it's, but it's also a conversation to you as fathers, to you as men, that we have now got to pitch up. That we are, we are facing a pandemic in church. We, we're literally coming into a, a, a society where where the Gen Zers are coming up and, and the, 
the, for the first time in history, kids are growing up in a post-Christian world. And if the solution is just pitching up, the problem was caused inversely by us not pitching up. It, it's, not, it's not the leftists and the liberals and the Satanists. and the, It's not their fault. It's our fault. We have failed to stand up. We have clung to what we think is good. We have defined good as getting away from our families. Isolating ourselves. Because that's what we need. That's what would be good for us. But it is destroying us. And it is destroying our children. Let's stand up together. So now I said I wanted to be encouraging. Because it is encouraging. And it's only discouraging if you don't have the intention of standing up. But it is encouraging if you understand that if you're looking out at the world's problems and, and I need a solution to it, the only thing that you need to do is stand up and pitch up. You don't need to attend a special program. If you just come to church regularly and bring your children with you, your kids have a three-quarter chance of becoming a Christian themselves. That's incredible. If you just engage with Scripture regularly, all those, all those issues of not having a purpose, not having a foundation, they, they tend to sort themselves out as we engage with Scripture. See, I, I grew up in a home where my father read Bible to me. Going to church was not abnormal because we practiced church at home. And I, and I believe, you know, something that, that lockdown taught us was how completely unprepared we are to do church at home. And it's scary, you know. Lockdown came, churches couldn't meet, and churches fell apart. People fell apart. What did that tell us is that we've, we've grown a dependency on church. And here's the, here's the truth. I can't be a pastor to your kids. I can't be a Sunday school teacher to your kids. I can't, be, I can't be those things. You have to be those things in your own home. It is not my job to do ministry to your children. It is my job to teach you to do the work of the ministry in your own home. You have to be the prophet, king, and priest in your own home. But wives, it's not a good thing that your man is alone. And is he fighting with you or are you fighting for him? Are you with him in this? Or are you just another obstacle that he has to get through in the week to survive, to make it through? Yeah? Amen? Am I the, am I the helper or am I the thing that I need that my husband needs help with. Yeah? Nervous laughter, okay. But we got to do this together. Your man cannot stand alone. We cannot stand alone. We need you. Even if we won't admit it. Because 
we're also very emotional and won't admit that. So let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that there are big problems because by these big problems, your glory will be shown in a big way. And thank you, Father, that the solutions to these problems are not complicated. They, they don't require big things from us. They just require us to believe in a big God, to pitch up and to show up. Father, we, wanna, we just want to confess that, that for some of us we've been hopeless. We've looked at the problems. We've looked at our marriage. And we've lost hope. And in that hopelessness, we've, we've gotten lazy. Father, forgive us as, as a church where we've, we've attempted to do good things and, and unintentionally we've slowly but surely replaced people in their own homes doing ministry in their own homes. And Father, we want to we wanna add to our goodness knowledge the knowledge that you are first and foremost our Savior, that you define what is good, not us. And secondly, Father, we want to thank you that, that you instituted family that is right and good and proper. And Father, we, we know that that is a good thing, and we, today we endeavor and we choose to commit to that thing. I want to invite you as, as, a, as a married couple, if you're here together and and I'm not saying that you haven't been doing I'm not saying that you're not reading Bible in your home. But, but if you just want to make a formal commitment in front of God today that, that I will bring ministry to my home, to my children. If you want to do that together as a couple, I want to invite you up front. And we want to pray for, for the married couples specifically. And even if you don't have children or if you're not married, but you want to make that commitment that one day I will do this, and I want to invite you to come forward. And we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you in this endeavor. So if that's you, I'd just like you to come forward. We want to pray for the married couples and their families today. 